Welcome to the Colossians Bible Study Podcast, where we'll dive into the book of Colossians verse by verse to see what truths God is communicating to us. This podcast is brought to you by Dylan Dodson, lead pastor of New City Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about New City, visit newcityrdu.com, or you can follow us on all social media platforms at at newcityrdu. Thanks for joining us. Now let's jump into Colossians. Welcome back to our online Bible study through the book of Colossians. Uh, And this session will be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Now, up until this point, Paul has been encouraging the Colossians to continue to grow in their spiritual maturity and their followingness of Jesus. And in this particular section, he's going to talk about all of the gloriousness and the majesty and the power of Christ. And as we reflect and dwell on this, this should impact how we live and our gratefulness for who Christ is and what he has done. So here's what he says, starting in verse 15. He says, he, talking about Jesus here, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, right? So what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the invisible God made visible to us, right? He is God incarnate in the earth. Now, firstborn here uh, doesn't mean what you and I might think in our cultural context and setting. Firstborn here refers to Jesus not being created at his physical birth, but rather the rights and the privileges of a firstborn son. So in our culture today, there's nothing really too significant about being the firstborn or about being the firstborn son. But in ancient cultures, uh, the firstborn had a, a bigger share of the inheritance, had, heard, had certain rights and privileges over all of the other siblings and all of the other people in the family. There is certain privileges um, and really, I don't know, power uh, and significance about being a firstborn. And so in this culture, uh, Paul is saying that Jesus, all of these associations with the firstborn, a greater inheritance, uh, you know, power, significance, this is how we are to view Jesus, that Jesus is going to get these privileges. And those of us that follow, follow Jesus are also going to be taking part in this inheritance because of what Christ has done for us, that he is the invisible God made visible, the firstborn, the most significant over all of creation. Then verse 16, he says, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so again, against this idea that Jesus wasn't created until his physical birth, you know, over 2000 years ago here on earth, we see that he has always existed. How do we know that? Because by him, by Jesus, everything was created. Everything was created through the power and by Jesus. And not only was he the creator, but he is also the goal of creation. Why do we say that? Because everything was created through him and for him. That everything is for his glory and his majesty. That he is the firstborn in significance and he is the creator of all things. And all things are pointing to his glory and his majesty. Verse 17, he says, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. So not only is Christ the creator of everything, that he is also the sustainer of everything, that he keeps everything going, that that he's the creator, that it's all pointing to him, and he is also the sustainer. Verse 18, he, again, continuing to talk about Jesus here, is the head, is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. In other words, Jesus is the head of the church, right? The resurrection and the exaltation of Christ when he defeated death gives him publicly uh, the status that he has 
always had, that he has always endured, that he's always been the creator, the sustainer, the glorious one, the mighty one, the God himself. And so Christ has always been first. And, and his resurrection displayed that for all of creation, for all of humankind to see. And so now he is the head of the body of those who believe. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the end, and he is over all things. And his resurrection publicly declared what has always been true about him. All of these truths in this section that Paul is talking about can be seen in the resurrection and the power of Jesus has when he overcame sin, darkness, death, and evil. Verse 19, it continues. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Again, the fullness here dwelling in him is dwelling in Jesus. Now, fullness dwell uh, also, is, also can be understood in the ancient context or in the Greek here as, as a permanent residence. So he was, God was pleased to have his permanent residence dwell in him. This would have given uh, to the original readers uh, the Old Testament imagery of God filling the temple with his presence. Right? You had the tabernacle, and then you had the temple where God's presence dwelt. And now what, what Paul is saying is that Jesus not only bears God's glory, that God's presence not only dwells in Jesus, but all that God is also dwells in him. Not just his presence, but all that God is dwells in Jesus, that Jesus is the God-man, God incarnate, God in flesh, God who has come to earth. That Paul is being extremely clear here, that Jesus is God himself the forgiver of sins. He is the son. He is part of the Trinity. He is God incarnate here on earth. That God's fullness dwells in Jesus. They are intimately connected, not separated from one another. Then verse 19 and 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, as we said, I'll continue in verse 20, and through him. So he was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him. Why? To reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In other words, everything will ultimately be brought under Jesus's authority. And the invitation for you and for me and for the Colossian believers is to know God as a friend and as a savior. For evil and demonic powers and those who reject him, they will be defeated by King Jesus so that they can no longer bring any harm. In the new creation, God will wipe all of these things away, and he will make peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. And again, the invitation is for you and I to participate in this kingdom. How do we participate? Well, we enter into this kingdom by accepting who Jesus is, repenting of our sins, being honest of our need for the Savior, and then we live in a way worthy, not because how we live saves us or grants us God's grace, but we've already been given God's grace and we've already been given God's favor through Christ. And so we live in a response to that, that we allow little pockets of God's kingdom to be experienced here on earth as we look forward to the day when Christ returns and reinitiates his kingdom, renews creation, where there is no more evil, pain, and suffering. This is what God did when he defeated death by resurrecting on the cross. He reconciled uh, but reconciled everything to himself. And he's inviting all of us to take part in this reconciliation that he has accomplished on the cross for our benefit and on our behalf. Then he says this in verse 21 and 22, Paul says, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed by your evil actions. Again, for Paul's mind, what you know impacts what you do. And so, so we were, those who, before we know Christ, those who do not know Christ, live in a way that shows that they do not know him. Again, verse 21, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, as expressed in your evil actions. 
But now he, talking about Jesus, Jesus has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. In other words, this is the culmination of all what Paul is trying to say in these verses, that that all of this means for us is that we were alienated from God. We were far from God. We were going our own way. We were doing our own thing in thoughts and in action. And then what did Christ do? Christ, not us, not us trying really hard, not us begging God, but Christ himself has provided a way of reconciliation for you. That Christ and what he has done, his perfect life, death, burial, and resurrection, he's invited you to this reconciliation to be made right with God. That you and I can be presented as holy and blameless because of him. Now, again, this would have brought to mind this Old Testament imagery of the sacrificial system. That you would sacrifice animals so that you could be holy and blameless for the sins that you had committed. Now, what Jesus has done, he is the final sacrifice. That we we no longer need a sacrificial system because Christ's final sacrifice was good for all all time, that we are holy, faultless, and blameless, not because you and I literally are holy, faultless, and blameless, but because Christ is, and those of us in Christ, again, are reconciled to God, that we get to take part of this inheritance, and that God views us the same way that he views Jesus, which is righteous and holy and blameless. And so as we follow him, and as we fall short, and as we repent, God's not angry with us. Uh, God has not turned his back on us, but every single person in Christ receives God's grace and mercy gladly every time we ask for it. And we see here in Paul in these verses that Paul is saying <clears throat> that Jesus actually has the power to do this because he's the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the reconciler, he is the forgiver of sins. This is not just like feel-good mythology that Paul, that Jesus himself is God and has the ability to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so then he closes by saying this in verse 23, the last verse we'll read in this session. Here is how we uh, get all of this blamelessness and this righteousness and this holiness by, by doing this, verse 23. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, this gospel has been pro- proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that if you remain faithful in Christ, that you will receive these things. Now, uh, what seems to be happening here is Paul's language here indicates that he does not doubt the Colossians will. He's encouraging them, not saying you better do this or else, but he's saying, I've seen what you guys have done already. Continue in this, continue to remain faithful so that you can receive your reward. Now, it is important to remain faithful. Why? Because counterfeit faith withers and dies. It might sound good. It might, you know, you have that emotional investment for a few days or a few weeks, but if it's not genuine, it will wither and it will die. And so maybe put it this way. The encouragement for us is to remember this, that God will not reject you. So don't reject him. He won't reject you. We see in Christ's coming, not because we've asked for it, but simply because he's a God of grace and mercy, that he will not reject you. And so continue to follow him. And when you fall short, repent. And he's not angry. His back is not turned to you. He always uh, responds to repentance with grace. So the encouragement here is to remain faithful. Love people well. Uh, When you fall short, own it. Be honest about it. As you continue to look forward to the day that you and I get to participate in God's kingdom when he renews the heavens and the earth. So to close this section, again, three quick things that we see here. Number one, we see that Christ is over everything. He's the creator, sustainer, firstborn, and significance. He has always existed, will always exist, that Christ is over everything. And that is what this amazing passage is encouraging us and showing us, that he is over all things, that he is God. Christ is over everything. 
We also see that Christ reconciles you. He reconciles me. He's over everything, and he is our reconciler, not us, but him. And so we live in a way that we respond to the gospel, not trying to earn it, but because it is freely given. So Christ reconciles us. And when we remember that, it encourages us not to be angry, arrogant and not to think we are better than anyone else because we know that it is a gift that God loves us, and it is a gift that God has forgiven us, that Christ reconciles us, not us and not our good works. And then finally, we see that Christ will not reject you. He will not reject you, so do not reject him. That we get his blamelessness, his holiness, his righteousness is transferred to us, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. He will not reject you, so you and I should not reject him. And that's what we see in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Thanks again for joining us in our Bible study through the book of Colossians from New City Church. New City Church is a non-denominational church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information, visit newcityrdu.com, or you can follow us on all social media platforms at at newcityrdu.com.